This is Talking Buildings, where we explore how together we can better design, control, innovate and transform our built environment. This is Bondi Radio. Today on Talking Buildings, we're in the heart of Sydney, which needs no introduction to our global listeners. You're in for a real treat today as we're focusing on cities, brilliant cities. Our guest on the show today is James Rosenwax, Executive Director of Cities Australia New Zealand at ACOM. James is also the host of the highly successful podcast, Talking Cities, and we're very pleased to welcome James on the show today. Hi, James, and thanks for joining Sharon and I today. Hey, guys. Great to be here. (laughs) Good to have you. So, James's background in landscape, landscape architecture, environmental management, and business leadership gives him a unique point of view when providing strategic advice and direction on multidisciplinary urban development, city shaping infrastructure and public realm projects at local and international scales. When required, James draws on diverse skills across ACOM to help make cities better places in which to live, do business and coexist with nature. That's true. (laughs) I'm ACOM cities guy. (laughs) That's wonderful. And James's philosophy is rooted in his desire to reframe the questions arising when solving the most complex challenges faced by our urban metropolises. That's also true. (laughs) Efficient transport, equitable access to essential infrastructure, governance and collaboration, resilience, place and connectivity are his current focus areas when optimizing urban environments. After all, when all these elements combine, we don't just create smart cities. Cities become vis- uh, visible, vibrant, and delightful. And they shine. <laughs> That's also <Okay>. true. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout his career, James has received many accolades based on his own and collaborating as part of a team on iconic projects both locally and internationally. James is an inspiration to me personally as a thought leader. And as mentioned previously, James is a presenter on Talking Cities, which is in its fourth season and has now had over 50,000 downloads, which is awesome. He's also been involved in numerous publications, the most recent being Making Sydney's Brilliant, which is a manifesto for Sydney at 8 million people, which we'll be focusing upon. Welcome to the Hot Seat, James, and thank you for taking part today. Look, it's great to be here, and uh, this is my second uh, podcast where I'm not in asking the questions. Ah. I'm in the hot seat now, (laughs) so um, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Awesome. Unprepared, but looking forward to it. <laughs> you are listening to Talking Buildings. Um, so, um, thanks for very much for joining us for this session, James. Perhaps we could just take a few steps back initially for the benefit of our listeners, just to recap on your career journey to date. Okay, well, I went to school once upon a time <laughs> yep. in Sydney. I'm from Sydney, okay. and uh, so Sydney born and bred. Love this city. Uh, it's one of my favourite cities around the world, and went to school here. And, um, you know, I... I was inspired by the Australian landscape when I was at school. Um, we, we had a, Our family had a boat and we used to spend a lot of time on the Hawkesbury River, mm-hmm. which uh, is in Sydney, kind of in the north northwestern part of Sydney. And uh, I'd go bushwalking, you know, park my dinghy and go bushwalking. And uh, I, really, I really was inspired by the Australian landscape. So um, I didn't go off and do what most people did at my school. Most people went to do commerce or business degrees. I went and did a, a degree in landscape architecture, and, uh, and that was my foundation. That's the foundation of, uh, of James Rosenwax. So I did that. Mm-hmm. It was totally new for me. I had to learn how to paint. I had to learn how to draw and all those sort of things. I didn't yeah. have skills I didn't have um, traditionally growing up to, at, at a school in Sydney. Okay. 
So uh, I graduated, I became a landscape architect. Uh, I, I took a job with three partners uh, that had just started a business in Crow's Nest and mm-hmm. uh, you know, became a, a landscape architect, a registered landscape architect, and then became a, a partner in that business um, of landscape architects. And there was 25 of us. And we got, uh, we merged, we made the decision to merge with a company called Edor, which um, you know, was a global master planning and uh, urban development company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big change for us because there was 3,000 people around the world and uh, we'd gone from being a local company of 25 and that, that marked the big change in my career, going mm. from a practising landscape architect with dealing with landscape architectural problems in Sydney, yeah. you know, doing streetscapes and parks and dealing with local council and urban yeah. development situations in Sydney to all of a sudden dealing with the complexity of a corporation plus right. also um, a scale of projects that, uh, that EDOR were tackling were... Um, blinding yeah. uh, as compared to what we're dealing with here in Australia. So yeah, that was yeah. a big change. Imagine, yeah. And then uh, EDOR got uh, bought by ACOM and I became part of ACOM and that's where I really transitioned again. So I kind of, my, I've been practicing now for 21 years, 22 years and um, my career has kind of taken a journey of every seven years I've, I've done something else. And mm-hmm. I kind of align that to hotels, you know, a hotel you actually have to transform a hotel every seven years. Yeah. and. Um, I believe a, a career you have to transform every seven years as well. So I've refocused, I've pivoted my career. I, I totally haven't thrown away other stuff I've done, yeah. but I've pivoted my career now. So I'm no longer a practicing landscape architect, but uh, my job here is to bring together our entire business and our t- all our technical disciplines uh, and take that to market, uh, you know, in the best possible way. And that's where I am right now. The mm-hmm. city guy at ACOM. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, James. So being passionate and enthusiastic about landscape architecture, environmental management, and also business leadership has certainly played a pivotal role in nurturing who you are today. But can you elaborate what the driving force is to our younger listeners on what exactly is thought leadership? And also, what advice would you give to anyone inspired from hearing your story? Well, thought leadership. So that, that's part of my job. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, thought, thought leadership really is about creating credibility. Um, and developing a voice, um, so that's that's what thought leadership is about. I've um, I've only really focused on that in the last probably six years of my yeah. career, and you know I'm 46 now. I'm yeah 46, and it's kind of now. I think at that stage of your career, you've you are you begin to be credible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you can't do it when you're younger, but you you do. Um, that's what I've learned in my career is the longer you practice and the longer you're around professions and the yep. more experience you have the better you are able to synthesize uh, all the information that is in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you when you're younger and you're developing, I was particularly focused on being very technical and being technically astute mm-hmm. um, and honing my technical st- skills. And, uh, and as I said now, I think I, I've really stepped back and, uh, and developed a position as a thought leader, as someone that's credible uh, in the marketplace. Um, who has an opinion uh, and an opinion that is sought um, on on whatever area you choose to develop your thought leadership uh, on, and, and mine is cities and infrastructure essentially. And that's that's what I focus on. Yeah. So you've got to be very well read. Um, I read a lot, uh, a lot, uh-huh. um, and you've got to be able to see trends before they happen. Okay. Uh, and that just comes from reading uh, and synthesizing this information and thinking. You've got to do. It's got to be thinking time, you know. I, I yeah. try and find time in my diary every day just to, to not work. Okay. Um, honestly, I just try yep. and find space just to not work. And if it's, 
just sitting there reading an article or just I'm, I'm working but I'm not working you know I'm just yeah. there thinking about yeah. what's going on around me and what's next what's my next move it's like a sponge sort of things how do you organize those thoughts because that I would imagine would not be easy because you've got a lot of different things yeah well I can talk about tech technologies help me a lot yeah um, uh, like so I used to use my computer mm -hmm. uh, my laptop and you know, we get supplied with a great laptop here at Acom. You know, Dell, they make fantastic products and they're Microsoft products and they're great products. But um, I found to, to remove clutter, you just have to remove clutter. Uh, and I used to write, um, handwrite, but now I've actually bought myself a an iPad Pro and yeah. this special little keyboard, the keyboard that comes with it. Uh -huh. And that's that's been, a, that's transformed the way I work because I pull this, I can pull this little thing out um, in two seconds and start, typing or writing um yep. every day i type or write something in the notes section and that's really helped me get stuff down yeah. um and think about it and organize it um so if, you, if you're going to be a thought leader my advice you asked me what my advice to young people would be you've got to write you've got to be able to write and you've got to concentrate on writing every single day yeah. um is that for yourself or for um no, it's for yourself. For, your audience, for yourself. No, no, it's for yourself. I mean, I, if if I had the space, I would do it. If I was, you know, if this is my full time job, I would do it every day. I'd write a blog, mm -hmm. um, and I probably should write a blog, but I literally don't have the space. I don't even have the space to hardly to to eat um, during the day. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I try and go to the gym as well, but that hasn't happened for the last six weeks. But uh, today I was on debut. I was back today at the gym, which awesome. was really good. But um, so that, am I. So okay, then oh, hang on. I just want to. I know we've got limited time here, but um, and what what advice would you give to anyone uh, inspired by my story? So yeah. um, think about the seven year thing I talked about and mm -hmm. hotels and you know mm -hmm. <laughs> revamping hotels. Think about that because uh, this is talking buildings and buildings. You think about hotels and you think about buildings and how often they need to be refurbished and the mm -hmm. longevity of buildings. But uh, think about that about your career as well and don't be afraid to pivot, yeah. uh, change direction uh, because you can you can learn anything, you know, pretty quickly. Uh -huh. Totally. Awesome. Some good cool. advice there. Thanks. <laughs> Apart from mechanical engineering, it's probably a bit harder to learn. Structural engineering, I don't know, maybe. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so with uh, Talking Cities now in its fourth series, um, what was the original sort of inspiration and concept behind the show? And did you ever comprehend how popular it become? Um, I think we read out earlier it's, it's had over 50,000 downloads, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, um, it has become popular. And um, I, look, no, I didn't. I, to be honest, I didn't think we'd be doing this four seasons on. And uh, it was just something we started. Um, and I went to a podcast course with my colleague, Jessica Dodds. Okay. And we realised how little infrastructure you need to to do this. You know, we're sitting here with our comp, you know our our stuff right now, our mixer and our three mics, and this is you know studio quality. And mm -hmm. you know, I bought this all with some advice. I think it was for two and a half thousand dollars. And uh, and as I said to you earlier, when I take this around the world with me everywhere yeah. I go now, and it gives me a reason to mm -hmm. talk to anyone. Yeah. yeah, you know, I can talk to I talk to CEOs, I talk to mayors, um, I talk to all sorts of people, and I, and I like talking to people. Yeah, um, I like meeting people. It helps with my credibility, uh -huh. um, and it helps with Acom's credibility. Of course, um, yeah. you know, out there having conversations with our clients about the big issues. That's what mm -hmm. we're talking about. Cities, you know. Yeah. When you're talking about cities, you can talk about anything. Literally, you can talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I this in this fourth season, we're talking about, um, you know, 
live music in Sydney, you know, that's something else you can talk about and the lockout laws, you know, yep. and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So you can talk about Quite absolutely anything. So um, that's that's really it. And no, I didn't ever think we'd have 50,000 downloads, but I'd like to have 150,000 downloads uh, or perhaps a million downloads. That uh, would be amazing, huh? That, that's that's what we'll, we'll head for is a, a million, okay? So let's put that <laughs> out there. You've got to put it out there. Yeah, I'm putting it out there. We, we want a million. Um, and I, I, maybe, you know, if I got um, Barack Obama or someone like that, I could crack that. Um, and I would ask, help. yeah, I, you know, I, I would ask his people if I can get him on. Um, so maybe yeah. next time I'm in the States, I'll do that. <laughs> right. So you mentioned um, talking to interesting people mm. um, around the world. Who is there someone or, or a, a, do you have a memorable moment or a memorable speaker who kind of maybe helped deliver your thought leadership and you know evolve that yeah well i mean look to be honest everyone i think we've spoken to over 30 or 40 guests over the the three seasons we've delivered now Um, we typically do about 10 guests a season and um so i can't single one out but um you know i can i can think about uh dick smith you know for the australians that listen to your show dick smith was a really interesting one Mm -hmm. you know dick smith is a pretty famous icon in australia yeah his initial name was the Electronic Dick because he started up Dick Smith Electronics. Yeah. And, uh, uh-huh. um, so he's still around. That was his brand, by the way. That wasn't yeah. even uh, crude. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, of course he's still around. So he's a he's a legend. Then he so he sold that to Woolworths, and then he became um, just basically a philanthropist and an entrepreneur. And uh, so now he he started up um, Dick Smith's Foods because he really believes in Australia. Um, and Australian produce. But uh, another platform he has is um, growth of our cities, and he believes our cities are growing too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's opposing growth at the rates we're currently growing at. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation because I'm typically all about growth because I work for an infrastructure business. And and we deliver growth, products of growth, buildings and and infrastructure. So uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with him. And, uh, you know, I didn't disagree with every point he had. And he took me up to see his helicopter in his house, and I was in his house, and uh, yeah, he's got a helicopter oh as well. Wow. Very nice. Hangar and Where's yeah. that? <laughs> it's uh, it's a place called Terry Hills on the, the northern beaches. Uh, wow. It's not far from me. Yeah. No. <laughs> we make that pop, the next pop one. Pop by, <laughs> neighbour. <laughs> but Lucy Turnbull was great. Um, when, uh, uh, Professor Peter Drogi from Liechtenstein and, uh, and, uh, was, was fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also practising in Berlin. Uh, Ludo, Ludo Campbell-Reed, uh, who is the chief... Uh, urban designer in Auckland City who's transformed Auckland uh, through valuing open space more. Dr. Dr. Tim Moonan, we talked about uh, innovation districts. He's from the business of cities in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary White, the chief planner here in New South Wales. Uh, Peter Murray, the, the chairman of New London, London Architecture. That was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, one more, I'll give you one more. Um, Ken Shuttleworth, who is the, the Keith maker Sorry, the chief maker. Mm-hmm. He's not a chief executive because I don't have them there, but he's the chief maker of uh, a world-famous architectural practice called Make Architects. And, yep. uh, and they're based in London, and he's uh, an ex-partner at Foster's. And um, his whole... I, I really enjoyed talking to him. His, his whole concept around architecture and his practice is that everyone's a maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone has yep. collateral and equity in the business, uh, you know, down to the researchers and the administration staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I went to visit his office, his studio, of course, they call it a studio and, uh, it was, it's in an under, an ex underground car park in London and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the procession down to it and they're making stuff all the way down. There's, you know, hundreds of 3D printers printing out, um, architectural buildings. So, uh, I really enjoyed that conversation as well. Yeah. 
Fabulous. We had Ken actually, I think he was a keynote speaker a couple of years ago at the Sibsey Building Performance oh, Awards. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, he's quite he, charming. He, yeah, he he's, was a bit controversial too, I think. Right? But he <laughs> likes to work with um, building service engineers. He believes, I think that's part of his philosophy. He does, yeah. Work closely with them. So that was, he was a good, yeah, good speaker. Yeah, so no building's the same for Ken. You know, everything starts afresh. You know, some architects develop a style, um, you know, that you can see a million miles away, but uh, yeah. they restart everything. They reset everything every time they make make afresh. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, so we talked about sort of inspiring speakers um, along your journeys. What about uh, inspiring cities? Have you had any sort of cities that, have, that you've sort of worked in or you've, you've gone around and really inspired yeah. you? Well, you know, I, I think about my favourite cities in the world, and New York. New York's one of them. Um, I, you know, it's. Uh, why is that? <laughs> it's just so dense. I think yeah. that's why. It's just so dense. Um, you know, I think Central Central Park is a it was a, a mark of genius uh, by Law Olmsted, and uh, I think it's incredible to have that much open space within a, such a dense metropolis. Yeah. Um, and I, I just really, I just, uh, I've just enjoyed watching you. I've been there a few times, and I've just enjoy, uh, enjoyed watching it transform over the years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the um, the high line and seeing how that uh, has impacted property value, and I guess the value that open space, um, which is a rare commodity in New York, uh, has really transformed property around it. You know, so that's open space and high quality open space transforming the value of property. Yeah. Uh, and the use the use of property down there in the Meatpackers district. So and then look, another one for me, I mean New York's another Alpha City. So uh, London's another Alpha City as well. I love London mm-hmm. and um probably my favourite city in the world is Rome. Uh just Rome. 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 Yeah. Rome. Rome in Italy. Okay. Um I just I got lost there, you know, I got lost there for yeah. ten days and um you know, we were on our honeymoon with my, my, my wife and we'd originally only planned three days there and uh, we decided we'd to cancel our trip down the Amalfi Coast and spend another seven days in Rome. And so much to see there, isn't so it? So much like, to so see. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if any of you listeners history. have never been to Rome, can I suggest that um, that you do it and uh, just be prepared to walk everywhere Yeah. Uh, and take a camera and just take loads of photos and go into every single cathedral, church, building you see because they're <laughs> all incredible. Yeah. Yeah, there's ruins all around you. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James, you just mentioned there about Alpha Cities. Can you just sort of elaborate on what you meant by that? Oh, well, I mean, Alpha Cities, that's, that's a term for uh, cities that really are at the top of their game right now in terms mm-hmm. of um, attracting talent yep. uh, and attracting capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so some money, people. Uh, and and corporations. Mm-hmm. So there's probably only two real alpha cities, and that's New York and London. And mm-hmm. to be honest, they're, they're both killing it right now. They're um, you know they're they're this you know they're being governed in a way that uh, they're trying to deal with the issues they have of yeah. uh, of inequity, um, and they're they're able to move quickly. They're well governed uh, um, cities. So that's that's really what we we call an alpha city. Sydney okay. as- Sydney aspires to be an alpha city. And it will be one day. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> awesome. Well, that kind of leads us on really nicely to the latest publication that we mentioned earlier, um, which is Making Sydney Brilliant, a manifesto for Sydney at 8 million people. So it's a very comprehensive document, but for the benefit of our listeners, James, that might have not seen this document yet, would you mind providing like a sort of brief snapshot of the background leading up to publication and why it's so vital? Yeah, look... Um so we're, we've written this manifesto and you can download it, just um, type, in, type in Brilliant City Insights and it'll come up and there's a whole lot of the, the thought leadership work we put up there. And, but this, the recent one we've written is, it's a book, um, 
it's a proposition for Sydney at eight million people. Yeah. Um, and the the reason we've written this book is because Sydney right now is growing at one of the fastest rates in any of the OECD countries uh, uh-huh. around the world, and that's um, it's quite alarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the pace of change in the city, and um, we're growing. You know, you know, we're growing at double the rate uh, of many of the US cities right now, and double the rate of London actually. So. Uh, and with this growth um, is a need to provide infrastructure as you you can look out the window right now and see in Sydney and mm-hmm. um, it's it's how we deliver this infrastructure and how we choose and select this infrastructure um, is critical and that's what the book calls out it's it's uh, it's essentially it's saying that we can't continue to do things the way we've done things in the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, for cities like Sydney in the 21st century that are urbanizing and growing so rapidly so the old reliance on the government to do everything the government to take the lead will have to change and the book looks at governance the book looks at uh green infrastructure it looks at um gosh it looks (laughs) it looks at uh, governance green infrastructure uh it looks at energy it looks at transport it looks at basically everything that goes into making a city and uh and how to put it all together Mm -hmm. and do things differently in this rapidly uh evolving world so so check it out and take a read yeah yeah does it take a long time to put together yes yeah yeah two years (laughs) two years really oh wow Wow. okay so but is this um change is it like a a shock change or a growth rate or is it something that you've been planning and expecting for a while yeah well it's planned Uh, yeah you know so it's actually not our natural increasing rate here in australia it's it's very much planned it's our immigration rate um and australia has to you know right now the the arguments are that we we need immigration. Um, it's like building a business. Yep. Um, we've got graduate programs in our business where we're inviting the smartest uh, graduates into our business here, yeah. and they're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got great ideas and great capacity and capability, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the way I see building a country and building a city. Yeah. Interesting, um, yeah. Because we've got an ageing population, and um, you know we've got all the baby boomers that are going to be coming out of the workforce or in the process of coming out of the workforce in Australia, and uh, we need to replace them uh, quickly. And, and hence the high rates of immigration. So it's very much planned. Okay. Awesome. So what would you say are the key trends affecting Sydney now and leading into the future, James? Well, I mean, the key, the key negative trends that we need to watch out for, mm-hmm. um, well, firstly, it's inequality. There, there's growing divides between the haves and the have-nots, uh, not only in this city, in cities around the world, you know, in San Francisco and Sydney and London and... Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of global cities, and we've we've got it here in Australia as well. We've got what we call the latte line, and there's a, a distinct uh, discrepancy uh, between access to amenity uh, and uh, access to social infrastructure and infrastructure in the western in the western suburbs as compared to that in the eastern suburbs. Now, Sydney is developed out of the east. This is where they sailed their ships in 230 years ago, and yeah. uh, everything developed out of uh, the CBD where we're sitting right now, which is on the harbour, which yeah. everyone knows, your mm. listeners would know. But um, we've also got a city out in Western Sydney, you know. We've got Parramatta, we've got uh, other regional centres like Penrith. But um, mm-hmm. the stats out there uh, in terms of access to, to, you know, if you read the manifesto, you have a look at access to, to water, mm-hmm. uh, public swimming pools, I think there's like, three swimming pools in Western Sydney as opposed to 121 over here in the Eastern Sydney. Wow. So, oh, really? Um, yes. So there's... Uh, um, and we have the beaches. <laughs> well, we've got the beaches here. <laughs> yeah, we've got the beaches. So um, and the book also looks at the access we have to water here in the Eastern Sydney plus 
and then compares that to the access we have to rivers and creek lines in Western Sydney. So there's a huge opportunity for us to develop this city in a very responsible way mm-hmm. um, that builds a, un- a unique opportunity um, to attract people to live in Western Sydney and not travel over to the Eastern City. And, uh, and that's one of the key trends is this inequity. inequity. Um, another key trend, uh, like I, I don't want to take too much time here, but another key that's trend is um, resilience and building resilient infrastructure. Um, Sydney has just launched its um, resilience plan, part of the Rockefeller Foundation's uh, 100 Resilient Cities plan. Yeah. And it's it's a trend that we need to take uh, into account in all aspects of, of building cities. Um, so in Western Sydney, uh, we need resilient energy infrastructure, for example, because it's hot out there, you know. We're going to mm-hmm. need... You know, three times as much energy as we currently consume each individual in the future. Um, all right, yeah. three times as much. Wow. All right, so we're built. Figure. It's a massive figure. <laughs> okay, um, and I'll I'll give you the example of this. So I, I have on my house uh, a Tesla Powerwall, which supplies my house, my f- little family of four people, for ninety percent of the year with the solar system and the batteries. So that's 15 kilowatt hours for one battery. So essentially, mm-hmm. essentially assume I consume 15 kilowatt hours a day. But if I had a Tesla motor vehicle, for example, yeah. um, the battery in that is 86 kilowatt hours. All right. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's three and a half times what I consume in my house. Uh-huh. Um, so if I'm doing 300 miles, if I was 300 miles a day, I'd be ch- I'd be, that'd be three times as much every single day mm-hmm. uh, I'd be consuming. And all this new metro we're building around Sydney also consumes a lot of energy Um, so and that energy it's not a bad thing you know we can Mm -hmm. supply this energy from renewable renewable sources Mm -hmm. Um, there's plenty of opportunity to do that in Australia but it's worth considering um, when we build new energy networks that they're resilient and able to to um, talk to the distributed networks uh, future distributed networks like people's individual solar arrays and battery storage uh, and allow for peer-to-peer trading of uh, of energy uh, in the future of, of Western Sydney. Brilliant. Brilliant. Alrighty, we'll hear more from James in a moment on Brilliant City Insights, but now it's time for a little fun and change the dynamic of the session. Right over to you, Sharon, for a rapid roundup. And now it's time for a rapid roundup. Thanks, Paul. So, James, time to put you in the hot seat with some random, intriguing questions. Are you okay? okay? I'm totally. (laughs) Listeners, I. This is going to be random, all right, because I'm unprepared for this. That's the idea. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, so first question. What's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning? What, this morning or just in general? Okay, let's say this morning. Okay, this morning is (laughs) how am I going to get to the bus in 11 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Some insight into your morning there. Yeah, so I literally, I roll out of bed and go. That's my routine. No (laughs) breakfast, nothing. Um, sleep in your clothes. <laughs> yeah. um, which sing? Oh, so, what single word would get you out of bed in the morning? Um, coffee. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> coffee. Um, what was the first record you ever bought? The Smiths. The Smiths, um, really? Yeah, it was the Smiths. Um, I can't remember the. I can't remember the name of the album. It had pink letters and a green <laughs> green photo of Morrissey on it. Okay. Yeah. So was that a cassette or a no, no, record? No, no, it's vinyl. It was actual vinyl. vinyl. You asked me an album. <laughs> 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 and then the next one was probably Nevermind the Bollocks and Sex Pistols. <laughs> I thought I was a punk. 
<laughs> when I was 13. Nice. Ah, the phase. Yeah. Um, what's the most adventurous thing you've ever done so far? In my life? In your um, life. It, w- it would definitely be, uh, well, it'd definitely be um, traveling around the world by myself for 12 months. And then, but on that trip, like I traveled all over Morocco, but then I traveled through um, the Himalayas by myself. So I walked 400 kilometers uh, mm-hmm. with my wow. backpack you know, through all parts of the Himalayas. That was Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was good. That's a lot of um, thought time right there. So much time. <laughs> I, I wrote. <laughs> And I built in a mass, I, I had a, a, a lot of followers, you know, at that time we only had email, there was no such thing as blogs or internet and that sort of stuff. And I, yeah. I put, you know, I used to write every single day and, uh, and email people when I could and, uh, and I, half the time I'd be making stuff up, but it'd be funny <laughs> and people yeah. loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My stories. And then you were still alive. <laughs> I'm still alive. It's changed my life. Um, if you could meet a legend dead or alive, who would that be? Wow, I, I, you know I admire Barack Obama um, mm-hmm. for his leadership. Um, he's he's a bit of a legend in my eyes. Um, yeah. He's one. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I'll take it. Accept <laughs> yeah. that answer. Um, what is the greatest piece of wisdom you've ever heard? Gosh, things that make you go hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. I, a couple of things I live my life by, you yeah, know, for, fortune favours the brave. So, you know, take a risk every now and then. It's not bad. You know, you're not always going to win. But um, yeah. but unless you try and unless you take risk, uh, you're not going to make opportunity for yourself. So that's, um, that's something I live my life by. But another one um, is, you know, I, I often ask myself, you know, you sometimes you risk getting really pissed off with people mm-hmm. that you don't know. Um, you know, a shopkeeper or you know, another consultant or, you know, it's just someone you interact with that does something dumb uh-huh. um, that really antagonises you. But now I've just begun to think about treating everyone the way I treat my family and my friends. Yeah, uh-huh. um, that's a good way to be. You know, so that's, that's something else that's mm-hmm. currently driving me. With love. <laughs> just treat people with love. Yeah. Yeah, heart-centred that's leadership, sweet. I call it. Yeah, that's lovely advice. Um, has anyone ever mistaken you for somebody else, like somebody famous or... Um, <coughs> yes. Go on. Um, God, what was the guy's name? He was an actor. Um, <laughs> can't remember. He's a Greek actor. Because I've got dark hair. He's a Greek actor. And mm-hmm. uh, What's he been in? Which movies? Uh, he's on an ABC show. Can't remember. Should we come back to that one? Come back to that <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's contributed most to your success? Probably passion um, and energy. Uh, you know, passion and energy, I think. People people gravitate to that and people like to be around it. You know, I'm not yeah. the smartest guy in town. Um, there's definitely smarter people around me. But if you're charismatic and you're passionate and you're positive, yeah. um, I find that people uh, gravitate to that. And, um, you know, and that's probably what's got me to where I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And which of the seven dwarfs would you be if you were a dwarf? Oh, dopey. Because <laughs> I do some pretty dumb things <laughs> and I say some dumb things and I think some dumb things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that what Dopey did? Dopey was a bit sly. I, people, I forget people's names as well. Oh, don't we all though? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so definitely, it'd probably be Dopey for just being forgetful. Cool. Not, okay. not intentionally, but it just <laughs> happens. And 
Has there been an event that changed your life? Like one particular event? Um, I, um, yeah, I did Vipassana meditation in um, Thailand, uh, which is where you don't speak um, for, I did that for three weeks, which is a long time not to speak. Really? And you meditate. So you're only allowed to sleep four hours a day um, and you sleep from 11 o'clock until three o'clock in the morning. So that's Mm -hmm. that's four four hours. Then you get up and you have one meal a day at three o'clock in the morning and then the rest of the time you meditate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a, that was a game changer for me. I've never forgotten that. Um, uh, it's Is that hard? That sounds. No, it's not hard when you when you learn how to meditate. So they teach you how to meditate, and uh, so it's not hard because you're just concentrating on meditation. So you me- you can meditate. Sometimes I'd spend six hours just walking around in a room mm-hmm. uh, in the in the temple, uh, and you you move so slowly. You're meant to just think about every single bone, every single muscle. Mm-hmm moving ever so slowly and it could take you an hour to, to walk around a room um, that's really interesting, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, and were you isolated as well or were you with other people or no you were other just with monks just yeah. with tied and they, thai they monks. Were, obviously weren't speaking either but no yeah. no so yeah. that's very cool yeah mm. um if you could turn back the clock is there any any kind of regret that or any anything you would have done differently um you know not really. I don't don't really have any regrets. You know, like yeah. life's full of surprises, and everything's kind of intentional. Um, yeah, everything I've done, I've thought about, and I've never kind of regretted it. I just kind of live every day the way it is and make the most of it. Okay, well that's that's good. Did you want to go back to that question on uh, which famous person? Well, I, I remember what the show was, and for Australians, it was an ABC show called Heartbreak High. Yes. So Alex Dimitriakis. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I see that. Yeah, so <laughs> I've put on a bit of weight since then, but this is a long time ago. So yeah. my name is Rosenwax, and they used to call me A-Wax Dimitriades. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Heartbreak High. That was a movie, I think, and then it became a show. So Heartbreak Heartbreak Kid, I think it was Heartbreak High was a movie. Yeah. I remember seeing that in the cinema. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, he'd never acted before. They just found him somewhere. Oh, really? He was just a cheeky Greek guy in Australia. And, yeah. Uh, He's still acting. Is he? Yeah, he did a miniseries recently, but anyway. <laughs> He's good. Yeah. <laughs> Check him out. Could have been you. Could have been me. <laughs> Thanks. So that is um, that wraps up our um, rapid roundup session. So back over to you, Paul. Awesome. Thank you, Sharon. So fun and lighthearted responses from James there. Thank you, James. So, James, before the break, we briefly touched upon the manifesto document. Um, it's quite a comprehensive proposition. So of the big sort of 10 moves, from my personal perspective, creating a water-sensitive city is fundamental because I'm a, I'm a hydraulic engineer, so I'm sort of in that space. Um, but the Australian millennium sort of drought effectively ended the age of water entitlement, um, shine a spotlight on the need to conserve water. And this led to a renewed focus on integrated water management, water recycling, and a better approach to water-sensitive urban design. However, our cities and communities are not immune to problems with water supply. So what's next in the pipeline, do you think? For water? Hmm. You know, it's, uh, in Australia right now, we, we've, we've had plenty of water in the last, what is it, the last six years, I think. Yeah. You know, our dams, you know, our dams are pretty full. They have been pretty full. We haven't needed the des- desalination plant and uh, they've been at 90%, but it was interesting. On the weekend, I saw that our dams are not so full anymore and uh, there's okay. a huge um, drought relief package that's been discussed for our farmers. So all of a sudden, been flush with water has uh, has changed and uh, I I can kind of see 
a renewed focus on the importance of water uh, in our cities and um, particularly uh, Western Sydney that's even hotter than and than the Eastern city where we are right now. So mm-hmm. that's why we talk about that in the manifesto. It's actually how to integrate not only water, but how to integrate parklands yeah. uh, into the city to, to better deal with um, resilience uh, and climate change um, and, and the urban heat island. Mm-hmm. And water can play a really incredible role in that. Um, in that process so you know expressing water I I talked about the creeks and the waterways in Western Sydney and there's 756 kilometres of of creek lines and waterways in Western Sydney and um, that's a huge opportunity for us to to develop a water sensitive city that celebrates uh, and uses those drainage catchments to be part of um, how we capture store uh, and value water in in a new city that we're we're, you know we have the opportunity to create here in Sydney Uh Um, you know, we haven't had to do we we haven't done that here in in the eastern city where we are right now, where it's quite quite dense. Um, we've got the harbour for one, um, mm-hmm. and we discharge our stormwater to the harbour. Yeah. But um, in western Sydney, we've got the chance to to incorporate water into our development, into our city, and into the landscape to to help cool, um, and also to create value um, around the edge of that water and amenity. You know, it's twenty five percent of us in this city right now are obese. Yeah. And uh, and we need to get people out and about um, and create um, viable and attractive active transport networks. And uh, along a waterway is one of the easiest yeah. places to, to get people out and about. Yeah, of course. So that's what I think is next, uh, next for a city is how we value water in a city and how we express it um, mm-hmm. as we develop new cities. Yeah. You briefly touched upon the desalination plant. Can you explain to this, uh, even the guys in Australia or the global listeners, of what happened in Sydney with a desal plant? Oh, we, well, we built a desalination plant. I think we spent a couple of billion dollars building it. <coughs> mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's a great desalination plant, but uh, literally the day we finished and the contract was uh, was handed over, the end of the defects liability period, the, the, the drought broke. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, were, we were on our last legs. Like We had hardly any water left. We were going to run out of water in the city, so we built. naturally we had to build the, the desalination plant, but um, the day we built it, the dam filled up uh, to 90%. Uh-huh. So my advice to Cape Town, which is running out of water, is to... Build yeah. a desalination plant, <laughs> yeah. it'll, uh, it'll break the drought. Uh-huh. It's scary what's happening there just now. It is. Um, also, in stark realisation of water scarcity here in Australia, it only emphasises the importance of water in states like New South Wales, and you touched upon it there, where currently about 98% of farmers are dealing with drought conditions and are not producing enough food to feed their animals. So this um, obviously impacts our cities inadvertently throughout Australia. Um, can some of the key initiatives proposed for Sydney that you just touched upon there can also be applied into rural, rural areas, do you think? Um, probably not <laughs> because, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, Australia's a harsh place, you know, it's not fertile like the U.S. The U.S. is a really fertile country, you know, from coast to yeah. coast. Yeah. I mean, of yeah. course there's deserts there, but it is really a food bowl. Uh-huh. Um, and our farmers have got it tough, you know, it's not ideal here trying to farm in remote Queensland and remote New South Wales where it's hot and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and our soils have uh, a, what we call skeletal. They have little, they're ancient soils that are leached of nutrients mm-hmm. um, and it, it's really hard to, to grow. Um, sheep and it's hard to grow cattle and it's hard to grow wheat and it's hard to grow sorghum and and uh, and soya and cotton and all those sorts of things but um, I think technology um, potentially can play a role for us in in some of our um, arid areas of Australia and our rural areas of Australia we begin we begin to look at um, aquaponics and uh, hydroponics 
um, a new new technology to essentially help us mass produce good food. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, so I, I think this, the technology could provide the answer in helping yeah. us make our soils more fertile, retain water better. Yes, but but also new technology as it relates to growing uh, food and producing food. Yeah. So a key focus on the manifesto focuses on green infrastructure and the importance nature plays in a pivotal role. And can you cl- I'll kind of elaborate on the reasons why this is so important? Well, because nature, you know, it's it doesn't, you know, it's what we call passive um, technology. It's a passive technology. It's it's extremely effective, mm-hmm. um, and it's not as uh, resource intensive mm-hmm. as say um, burning. Fuel, fossil fuels to uh, fire air conditioners, for example, in a building. So, if we build well-shaded streets and well-shaded parklands, yeah, um, that can reduce the impact on our, you know, electricity loads and energy loads. But mm-hmm. I, I don't want st- to. I don't want people to think that just growing trees is cost-free because it costs a lot of money to do that. You know, and right now it's local government that actually actually has to bear the cost of maintaining those trees. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They're a liability. They can drop limbs. They can hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to select the right trees and you've got to provide the right environment for those trees to, to prosper and grow uh, yeah. and, and be irrigated, you know, passive, often, you know, passively off um, runoff from the roads. Uh-huh. So it's, um, it's not zero cost, but uh, it's, it's reduced costs if we yeah. consider um, the, the green, green infrastructure and its role in, uh, in reducing energy um, requirements in our cities. Okay. Awesome. Um, so, James, ageing infrastructure within Sydney, increased population and housing affordability makes the appeal for living out of the city maybe more economical. Like, Parramatta is a good example of this and, and has been earmarked as a new CBD. How important is this to the rebalance of Sydney and, like, for, for now and future generations? Well, I, 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 I kind of consider Parramatta as in the city now. Yeah. Um, it's probably west, you know, the far Liverpool, western city, yeah. Liverpool, and and Penrith is kind of out of the city. But um, you talked, did you talk about affordability there? Yeah. Well, it's interesting when we think about affordability. Even in Penrith, it's not affordable. Right. Okay. Mm. You know how much it costs to buy a house out there? It's a million bucks. Really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know how much it costs to buy a house in Sydney? <laughs> well, it's, but but I, I don't think a million dollars is affordable for anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's you know, who who'd have thought? You know. 20 years ago that you'd have to buy pay a million dollars or close to a million dollars for for a decent house and land and you know they're selling apartments right now in Penrith I think they're 795,000 for a two-bedroom apartment wow you know it's that's in Penrith town centre so I think um the notion of Sydney anywhere in Sydney being affordable is is one we need to consider and um Mm -hmm. probably then we need to think about other areas uh regional areas like Newcastle and Wollongong and Mm -hmm. and further further west um like Orange and uh, Lithgow, perhaps, uh, and places like that. So, how we encourage industry and jobs in some of these regional areas and connect these areas to Sydney, um, so they become part of a, a mega region to Sydney. Yeah. So, um, it becomes viable to live there and uh, and work there. But is if if prices are going up, is that because there is so much infrastructure in in those sort of remoter areas now? There's so much more, and so then if you do that again, the prices are just going to go up. Yeah. Yeah, so housing affordability is often a good thing. Um, so housing inaffordability is a good thing <laughs> because it means there's something happening in your city right now. So yeah. Adelaide would love a housing uh, affordability crisis, <laughs> okay? <Yeah. laughs> but, um, 
because that means that people want to be there uh, yeah. and there's demand okay and that's what pushes price up is demand and you yeah. know it's the old supply and demand that you did at university so yes you're right but uh, but you know wages you know the the economists will tell you well while where there's growth there's going to be increased opportunity and there's going to be wage growth so uh, it'll be um, hopefully indexed to the increase in uh, property prices which hasn't occurred here so mm-hmm. property prices prices have increased by 70% in the last 5 years uh, in Sydney but our wage growth has only increased by 13% mm. that's where the problem is mm-hmm. um, the economic activity hasn't kept pace with uh, the speculative property growth in this uh, in this yeah. city but it's been quite abnormal, the growth that we've experienced here in the last um, seven years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ho- who's buying the houses? <laughs> well, the you, know, you know, it's not, well, right now it's not foreign investors because yeah. um, they've clamped down on, on the investment, you know, the Chinese government particularly, who, who are large investors in Australia and welcome to invest here. But um, the, the Chinese government has clamped down on their investment. Uh, it's it's uh, property investors here. It's mums and dads. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, we still encourage through negative gearing um, people to invest in real estate and speculative real estate investment. And uh, it's not always a good thing because it doesn't always lead to good urban outcomes. And there's a lot of development that's been driven by speculative real estate investment in Sydney Mm. um, that might have delivered a a sale or capital return to the mum and dad investor, but hasn't necessarily contributed to uh, a positive urban outcome for... uh, for the city or the town or for the people that are actually going to live in this thing. Right. Um, you know, isolated unit blocks, unit blocks without much amenity, um, unit blocks that aren't well connected to other unit blocks, apartment blocks that don't have a lot of public open space. Um, mm. So all those sorts of considerations uh, are important and can't don't necessarily come out of speculative real estate investment. Okay. Um, what about we turn our attention to technology? What do you think the key technologies are that will help make Sydney a brilliant city? Well, um, <coughs> trees. Yeah. Trees. Trees technology. is brilliant. Technology. <laughs> no, um, well, you know, in terms of one of the major things that defines and drives a city and makes it brilliant is how we get, away, uh, how we get around and connect. Um, so yeah. transport's one of the major forms of us getting around. Um, and I, I think the sharing economy um, is, I, I believe, is going to be a game changer for us. Um, sharing economy? Yeah. Yeah. So car share and ride oh, share right. particularly. Okay. Um, so I, I personally, I've given up. I don't own a car anymore. I, 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 I love not owning a car. It's, mm-hmm. it's sometimes harder for me. Um, yeah. I'm an early adopter in this space. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, my form of getting around is a go-get or an Uber. Yeah. Um, Admittedly, my wife has a car, but I'm not always next to that car, and she she uses her car for her things with her, with the kids. But uh, on the weekend, uh, I get around, mm-hmm. and during the day, I I, tr- I use a bus. But I I think um, that's so our ability to share assets uh, and make better use of our um, current road infrastructure by sharing assets yeah. to me is going to be an absolute game changer for us. Uh, another one is how we charge. Um, users and how, you know the different levers we're going to have to incentivize or de-incentivize how we use infrastructure in the future so if you are an individu- individual car user yeah. uh, you may be charged more per kilometer uh, than if you're in a ride share program and that's the, okay. they're, the, they're the levers we're going to have yeah. to, to change our behavior right. um, on how we use our road space and mm-hmm. how we get around and uh, to me 
these new levers we have, and this is um, called dynamic road pricing. Yeah. Um, so this, this is going to have to come in uh, in the future because our excise duty, which pays for our roads and um, from our fuel tax, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah. um, is going to decrease. So our revenue from that tax is going to decrease. So we're going to ne- need to find it because we're going to be using electric vehicles. Yeah. So we're going to need to find a new way to, to actually earn money from people getting around, and, uh, and that'll be a dynamic road pricing model. Are there any cities that utilise that at the moment? Well, Melbourne um, uh, have implemented a trial um, of uh, dynamic road pricing. Okay. Um, and Transurban have led that trial. Who's a, Transurban's a major operator and owner of, um, of motorways in, in Australia and also in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've implemented that trial to actually um, understand people's propensity to, to use that sort of system in the future. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually not sure about the It'd results of the trial. interesting, yeah. But um, it's coming. <laughs> Trust <this> me. I'm <laughs> um, sorry. So that's one t- one technology. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I think you know smart. You know, we talk a lot about smart cities, and um, yeah. So you know, smarter, connected, intelligent transport systems like traffic lights and security monitoring in our cities is you know something that we need to be very cognizant of. Um, but also. Um, data and access to data and the speed for which um, data can be provided to us, um, mm-hmm. I think will change. I mean, I was in New York City um, last year and I, I noticed that um, Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, have taken up the opportunity to provide free Wi-Fi to the city. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just free, you know, when you log onto the Wi-Fi at the, um, at the airport and it really sucks. Yeah. You, can't even, you can't even check your Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> well, this can't use I WhatsApp. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't use WhatsApp because it's so slow. But this... this um, was streaming at 350 megabits a second, which is three and a half times our NBN oh, top speed. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so 5G, I think 5G will be a game changer for us uh-huh. uh, in this city and they're uh, going to undertake a, a trial of 5G technology, which um, for free listeners is the next generation of, um, of mobile technology, mobile um, data provision. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's a lot different than, than 4G uh, and it's a hell of a lot, sorry, it's a, a heck of a lot faster. Uh, than 4G, I think you can get up to a, a megabit a second, a gigabit a second, mm-hmm. um, which is really quick. Wow. wow. Sounds good. So obviously, James, a lot of research from cities across the world has obviously been applied by the ACOM team here in collaborating with this manifesto. Um, but obviously, sort of cities, cities will have to invest to make these changes ha- occur. Um, if we were to sort of um, give you some magic fairy dust for the day, um, and it sounds like you're going to a lot of cities, you know, quite quite a lot around the world um, um, throughout the year. Um, are there any sort of particular examples that you've seen firsthand of what's working in cities around the world and you'd like to implement in our cities here in Australia or New Zealand if you were sprinkling your magic fairy dust to make it happen? Fairy dust, is that what you're saying? Fairy dust, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, a, you know, ding, like a magic wand or yeah. fairy dust. Or oh, fairy dust. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, I, I look up to Singapore for um, uh, its application of green infrastructure and how it values um, open space because it's a compact city. I look up to Singapore for uh, their 100-year plan. Okay. Um, and I look up to them for how they've dealt with smart cities. Um, mm-hmm. They have a, a smart nation hub, um, which is a portal where uh, people can access data and, uh, and innovate and private enterprise can innovate and use that data to provide value to, to the population of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look to, you know, Copenhagen uh, and a lot of these Eastern European cities for how they take, seriously, they take active transport. 
um, you know, essentially that's walking and cycling and the, yep. the priority that, that is given in their cities. Mm-hmm. You know, Copenhagen is the, the world example of that um, where they've closed streets to mm-hmm. cars and seen huge benefit to the city in terms of retail activity. Um, I admire, I'd love to think of, you know, I spoke at a, a conference yesterday and I said, look, when we're thinking about our cities here in Sydney and our, um, the polycentric city, Liverpool and Penrith, let's think, be visionary and let's make them car free. These town centres, let's make them car free. So we yeah. provide metro to them, we connect them, we make it all act- active transport base. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way we're going to put ourselves on the map. If we're really visionary and we're really bold uh, and challenge the way things were done in the 20th century and mm. uh, adapt it to the 21st century in a, in yeah. a really visionary way. Um, and then, you know, I think, so then there's North America. I, um, I look up to cities there that uh, have really adapted to the innovation economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I love Boston. They've got 145 educational institutions, tertiary educational institutions, um, and they really promote um, they promote innovation and creativity and technical innovation um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in their city. So they say that, you know, there is going to be no district untouched by yeah. innovation and creativity in this city. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd love us to be that bold mm-hmm. as well in thinking <laughs> about Sydney. Um, and then the other, you know, another one as well is is a it's a country and a city that is is innovating and developing um, great products out of need is uh, Tel Aviv in Israel as well, and that's another great example of um, of a city that's uh, adapted to the time and moved quickly and seen opportunity and seen where it's needed to change uh, mm-hmm. and been very agile in the way it's governed mm-hmm. uh, and the way it's incentivized um, research and development. I used to have the figures on the tip of my tongue, but alas, I don't, but um, essentially they, they reinvest triple the OECD average rate in R&D in, uh, in Israel than they okay. do in uh, other in OECD countries. So really in what, okay. in what um, er- specific areas? Or well, I mean, general? it's mainly known for, uh, for technology now, um, IT technology, but, uh, but also irrigation um, okay. and, and, you know, arid, Arid landscapes, out of need, need, but (laughs) but uh, you know how to produce food because they have to be self reliant in in a lot of instances in uh, in their arid landscapes. Yep. Great. Brilliant, James. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really really great. Um, your stories, you've been an inspiration, and it's been an enthusiastic discussion. Thanks you for for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure. Hope you've enjoyed it as well, and I'm sure everyone else tuning in will agree that it's been a thoroughly entertaining and education session. Thank you. It has been. So thank you very much for having me both. And uh, I've really enjoyed the discussion as well. I much prefer to sit on this side of the microphone, <laughs> getting to talk, uh, rather than asking yeah. the questions. So uh, I've really enjoyed it and uh, good luck with the podcast. And uh, I look forward to helping you promote it. And uh, hopefully you can get to a million listens uh, before I do. Yeah, let's put that one out there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, James. No worries. Keep Thanks very much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sibsey Australia and New Zealand production. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Air Conditioning, Refrigeration and Building Services organisation ARBS, which connects industry professionals, engineers, contractors and technicians. Talking Buildings is recorded and mixed at the world-famous Bondi Radio. This is Bondi.